Turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Revelation 21, 9, in a series, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to begin to read with the ninth verse again. We've covered some of these already, uh, but help sets the context. This is the Word of God. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the, an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Uh, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, uh, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, or anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we're so glad that we have your word, that it is true and that it is certain. So, Father, we would pray that as we come to your word today, uh, that, Father, your spirit give us understanding. Father, of the hope we have. Father, of the future that's ours. Lord, an assurance of that hope that gives us strength for today. So, Father, work by your Spirit, glorify your Son, and understanding we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last book written by Theodore Geisel, uh, more famously known as Dr. Seuss, was All the Places You'll Go. Um, it's a book that's described as concerning the journey of life, uh, its challenges, its joys. Uh, and in the book, for many years now popularly uh, referred to or gifted around graduation time, um, the, the reader's encouraged to pursue a life journey of adventure and of exploration of a variety of places 
Um, and indeed, the, the book begins this way. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. Now, the Bible gives us the stories of people on their journeys through life to great places, their challenges, their joys, but also their heartbreaks, uh, their disappointments, their failures. Abraham and Sarah left Ur, a mega city in its day, uh, going to a place God said he would show them. And as they went, they were looking for a city that was not made with human hands. Abraham's descendants, a thousand years later, thought they'd found just such a city. They found Jerusalem. In fact, they built a temple there for the glory of God to, to dwell in their midst. But this was still a city that was just made with human hands. And about four centuries later, their sin, their disobedience, sent them into exile, and the Babylonians came and destroyed the city. The prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel gave great hope that one day that city would be rebuilt. And then, indeed, Jerusalem was rebuilt, um, powered by God, still was made with human hands. And again, six centuries later, the Romans destroyed it. And what the Jews didn't understand then, and a lot of people today, is that the earthly Jerusalem is not our final destination. That what Isaiah and Ezekiel describe, what Abraham and Sarah anticipated, is an eternal city. Now, like Dr. Seuss's book, the last book in our Bibles, uh, Revelation, is written by the Apostle John. And it describes as well the journey of life. But in this case, the journey ends not in a lot of places, but what? In one place. And that is in the new Jerusalem, in the newly recreated earth. And let me tell you. All the place you'll go uh, is incredibly amazing, and it's even beyond the vivid imagination of Dr. Seuss and his wonder. So congratulations, today is your day, you're off to a great place, you're off and away. So to see that place, to see that broad city, let's, which is our new home, let's, let's go to the text. First we want to just paint a broad picture so we understand what we see are better. We get a better sense of how this all fits into the journey of God's people from Eden uh, until eternity. We've seen so far that Adam and Eve lived in a, uh, a glorious, beautiful garden, <coughs> far grander than any we could possibly see in this world today. And it was a true paradise. It was a perfect place to live. Fruit trees of all types, beautiful flowers, waterfalls. Rivers that flowed out of the garden and watered the earth. Magnificent creatures. They filled the garden. It was truly a sight to behold. There was no need for bug spray or sunscreen, all right, in that place. Uh, the harmony of heaven and earth was in clear view. There was clear order as God's will was done on earth as it was done in heaven. The whole earth was a, a theater to display the glory of God. And part of that harmony on display on this earth uh, was that it was being governed or ruled by people made in God's image. In that garden, you have a king and a queen made in God's image, given God's mandate that would uh, reflect God's glory, that they would reflect God's glory to the creation. And they would serve that in that creation, produce fruit from the works there, from their works that would bring glory to God. So Adam was a king, 
and yet he was a gardener. Uh, he had great dignity, yet humility. Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship daily with God. Their lives, their marriage, perfect, perfect. But it was all lost in a moment. Not satisfied with what God had given them, they attempted to make themselves like God. It was a day that will live in infamy. Even then Adam bit into the fruit, the only fruit that was forbidden them in the garden. And death came crashing down from everywhere on Adam and Eve and all of creation. God's spectacular garden was ruined in just a moment. God, instead of walking in the garden, came storming into the garden in judgment. And ever since the world has been in a battle with sin, there's been much heartache, sadness, anguish, cruelty, and violence. You can change the world empires from Babylon to Greece to Rome to England, the United States to China. And their stories all end the same way. Heaven and earth's harmony separate into distant keys. But now there's a schism. Isaiah 57 tells us that, that God is in heaven and God lives there. But our place is earth. And on our own efforts, because of our sin, we cannot attain heaven. God has to make the way. And earth is now where God's revealed will is not done. In fact, many today seek to do the opposite of God's will. They rebel against how God's made them, against the circumstances He's put them in. On earth today, we seek our own glory. What Satan offers the world is what he offered Jesus. But friends, it's all stolen goods. The kingdoms of this world and their glory. The thing is, he cannot deliver on what he promises. But now in Revelation 21, all that's past. Revelation 20, Satan was defeated. He was sent into an eternal abyss along with all of his followers. And earth is now being reinvaded by the glory of God as the new Jerusalem comes. What Abraham was looking for, what Isaiah was anticipating, what Jesus prepared and promised for us, it's coming. And we've made some observations already about um, this city. First and foremost, we said it's, it's a holy city that reflects the glory of God. There's no more sea, remember, because there's no more chaos. The sea was a symbol of chaos. Because it's a holy city with no more sin, means there are no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. We also saw, we read this morning, that when John tells, uh, the angel tells John to turn and see the bride of Christ, he turns and sees what? A city. And again, we said, that's not a switcheroo on the angel's part. But it reinforces for us this truth that God is using symbols here for us to prepare us. And John then has to take today's world's words to describe the new earth. As Paul writes, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Because the point is, what John sees are people. People whom Jesus has called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. 
And so they now reflect the glory of God as Adam and Eve once did. These coming down are all believers who have died since Adam. And we know positionally all of us who are believers, we're already part of that city. Our citizenship is there. Ephesians tells us right now we are seated positionally with Christ in heavenly places. Already our treasure, our inheritance are laid up for us safely in heaven. The old song says, somewhere beyond the blue. And with that in mind, let's now continue our tour of the place you'll go. First note, it's immense size. Had a great, verse 12, had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are the same. He also measured his wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. We went to London several years ago uh, when Dave and Bethany were there. Uh, the immense size of that city um, made with human hands was just incredible. A lot bigger than, than nitro. Okay? Um, uh, but can you imagine what the people in John's day would, would have to say right now if they saw New York City uh, or London or Tokyo or Mexico City? Uh, and the city is far more immense to symbolize the immensity of God's purpose to make for himself a people from every nation, tribe, language, and people on earth. Uh, you know, if you, if you put that city by its dimensions we have down in the United States, it would go from Portland, Maine, to Jacksonville, Florida, to San Antonio, Texas, International Falls, Minnesota. It's a pretty big area. Uh, and the main point is not to get technical about its size, but once it's recognized that for John's readers, it would cover the, the, the known Hellenistic Mediterranean world. But that's not all. It's going upwards the same a distance. Uh, it, it's the same, and it dwarfs any human-made building by going through the Earth's atmosphere. And if it was actually there, we'd get in the way of those satellites that all crash into it uh, that are up there. When he tells us now that the angels and the humans are, have the same measurements, it's a reminder that now here in that city, the divine and the human have come back together, revealing what happened in Eden. It's a perfect cube, we're told. It's a reminder that the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt, was a perfect cube. And it's absolutely secure. There are 12 gates, three on each side. The presence of the angels at each gate reminds us of the cherubim guarding the entrance to uh, Eden. And no, there's no evil around, but nonetheless, it's to symbolize security of the place. And the walls are, are thick, 240 feet thick, all right? Uh, those inside are secure. No enemy could ever penetrate that place. Again, symbolism. But here's the point. Gundry puts it this way. John is not describing an eternally secure place. He's describing an eternally secure people. So again, these are people 
The city gates and walls of the New Jerusalem are, are built from the, the 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Israel. God's covenant people from the beginning. Uh, and and it, it might strike us as odd uh, to have gates that are always open. Isaiah said, your gates shall be open continually, day and night that shall not be shut. Um, with those three gates on each side, 12 gates, uh, the city welcomes anyone who's been drawn to Jesus as he's lifted up the cross, as he declares to us in, in John 12. Reminds us this is not a, a new thing, it's a continuation. It's a completion. It's a renewal of something very old and very familiar. The open gates symbolize that the city is so secure that we have nothing to fear. The vision of its walls and gates symbolize that it's never closed, not limited to any group of people, but all the nations of the world are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. With the apostles as the foundation, uh, they're that because they're the ones who, who, who gave the good news of Jesus to all the nations. They are the sources of God's truth, which is the foundation for his kingdom. And so their name serves the foundation of the walls and symbolically represent all of God's people coming together uh, as his people. So it's an incredibly beautiful city. It's beyond anything made with hands. Not ordinary in any way. The, the wall was built with, of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth cornelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, uh, the eleventh jason, the twelfth amethyst. You know, when you go to the cities of the world, when you went to London and Paris, uh, it, just amazing architecture, historic buildings, uh, beautiful parks, uh, and, and my eyes were just wide open taking in the, the history and the, and the, uh, and the splendor. Uh, but unlike our, our human-made cities with their great engineering and architectural feats, the new earth and its beauty and glory is made by God, not human ingenuity. And that's why it names natural stones are nothing that, that we could mess with as, as God's people. Um, and it points us away from ourselves and towards God as the designer. What's emphasized in all this is the radiance of God's glory. So you look at these jewels, and, and in the Old Testament, jewels are mentioned several times. Uh, in Exodus, eight of these twelve are, are literally the, the jewels on the, on the breastplate that Aaron the high priest wore as he represented the people before God. Um, the fact that these stones are here now is, is telling us that that access to God is, is for everybody. Not just for, not just the, Aaron can go into the Holy of Holies. Ezekiel used these stones to describe the greatness of a fallen city, Tyre. And then Isaiah picked up on that, uh, to use these stones to describe the rebuilt city of Jerusalem. And, uh, probably that is, Dennis Johnson suggests the, the, the most significant reference. Isaiah 54, 11 and 12. All afflicted ones, storm-tossed and not comforted. Behold, I will set your stones in antinomy and lay your foundations with sapphires. I'll make your pinnacles of agate and your, your gates of carbuncles and all your wall of precious stones. What's the point? Well, like the people of God in Isaiah, the people in Revelation that have read this are facing many obstacles. But yet they're represented by these jewels, and they are priceless in value 
and of eternal value that we have is secure in God. And throw with that 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city, uh, street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So each gate's a pearl. Now, those are pretty big pearls, by the way. I would just point that out to you. Um, and um, talk about your pearl, great price. Uh, but this is about beauty, about the glory of the people of God that reflects the glory of God. And then even as he said that the city was pure gold like clear glass, he comes back and says that, the, that that's the street. Pure gold like, like clear, transparent glass. Now, you've got to admit, you try to put that together, all right? Glass you can see through. Can you, have you ever seen through gold? I haven't, all right? Um, uh, it, it's very reflective if it's polished up, but it's not transparent. So, so why? Well, again... John's doing the best he can to help us understand the amazing splendor of God's glory that's reflected by the people of God as Jesus is gazing on his bride here. And so that even the pavement underneath our feet is glorious. But we also have surprises in the city. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So that's the first surprise, no temple. Uh, I mean, didn't Ezekiel carefully describe this incredible temple? Uh, well, he did. But again, we've got to remember it's, it's symbolism. Why? Because what does it tell us? God himself is the temple. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lamb is the temple. God promises to dwell among His people. Uh, a promise that we've seen since Genesis, it comes to complete fruition here. There's a complete openness uh, in, the, in the relationship with God for all the people of God. You know, the, the, the Old Testament temple, when it was built, had all sorts of safeguards to keep the people away from the glory of God that was dwelling in, in the midst. You know, there were, there were gates and outer courts and, and all those things and a curtain such that only, only one person, the high priest, could actually go to the Holy Holies and he, and he could only go once a year. So the temple was where God met with sinful human beings in God's dwelling place in the midst of sinful people. And so it was a place of sacrifice. But now the sacrifice has been made. Now through Jesus and the blood, we all have perfect and open and complete access to God. Here's where looking back to Ezekiel does help us. Because he said the name of the new Jerusalem is the Lord who is there. Friends, that's the greatest and best thing about the new Jerusalem. God is there. And then we read in the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. All right, there's no need to depend on the sun for light. No need to depend on the moon, the stars. No need for electricity. All right? Um, because God the Father gives light. He's the source of light. And Je Jesus, the Lamb... The sun is the channel for the light. Notice, he's the lamp that shines. 
I guess by now you're not going to be surprised. Isaiah talked about this. All right, the sun shall be no more be your light by day. We already read this. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will no, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. All right, the glory of God shining through Jesus will be sufficient light for all to see. The glory of God left the first temple in the earthly Jerusalem, you'll remember. But not this glory. It will stay and be there forever and forever and forever. So what about us? Uh, I'm going to suggest a couple of things. One, as we journey... Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, bask in His love for us that would send Him to the cross where He would die for us. And remember, the new Jerusalem on the new earth is far more incredible than we can imagine. And as we sang, we're almost home. Now I have a confession to make. A lot of you have asked me about Becky and I traveling after August. Uh, and yes, we have a bucket list of places to go. Uh, uh, back to London, to Zagreb, to Plovdiv. You know, Emma tells us about Budapest. We want to go there. And, you know, Prague, Vienna, Scotland, Wales. You know, my eyes are a lot bigger than my budget, I think, about that, you know. Um, and those are places we may go, we may not. But if you combine all of their splendor and all of their glory, they still will not match the place we will all certainly go who are believers in Jesus. And that's really the critical issue today. It was the critical issue in Bible school this week. It's the critical issue for people and nations all around the world. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Not just do you know about Him, but do you know Him? Friends, we love Him because He first loved us. He showed us that love through His death on the cross for us. And I would please, if you're not certain that you're trusting in Jesus, then, then see me or any member of the staff or one of the elders or Sunday school teachers or anyone you know that knows Jesus. Because, see, friends, God invites us to spend eternity with Him in the most spectacular place in the universe. And that's the new Jerusalem on the new earth. And the most spectacular thing about that new Jerusalem is the presence of God, the Father, the Lamb, and the Holy Spirit. What Adam and Eve lost, we will have again. And as we sang earlier, God will reign forever. And His glory will fill the earth. It will fill the universe. There will again be harmony in the universe. The songs will, will celebrate our great God. And once again, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, trust me, uh, there's still more for us to see in the coming weeks about the new Jerusalem. And Revelation continues to build our anticipation. Does it verse by verse, symbol by symbol, word by word? So hold on to your hats, uh, believers, and congratulations. Today is our day. We are off to a great place. We're off and away. Let's pray. 
Father, we're so glad that we have your word before us that fills us with great hope. Father, as the people of God, Lord, in a world that's troubled, in a world that's in rebellion, in a world of pain and sorrow, uh, Father, we know that we have an eternity. And the day's coming when that new Jerusalem comes. When you have defeated your last enemy, Father, Satan and death itself. And the Father, we will be in that new city forever and ever and ever. Lord, already our loved ones are there. Uh, Father, already positionally we're there. We're believers. And we await that day, Father. Lord, we're almost home. Lord, is anybody here that doesn't have hope this morning because they don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Father, show them the cross. Show them your love. Show them their sin. Show them your forgiveness. And give them eternal life, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.